Well, I'm bringing Sunday night to Sunday morning, and we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning and this evening, uh, because the the two really give an amazing picture about the problem of expectations. Uh, We're going to notice in this morning's lesson as well as in tonight's lesson that the, the text focuses on two individuals and what they expect of God. And those expectations dictate a lot about how life is going to go with you. And that's what we're going to look at then uh, this morning. Uh, we're introduced to something that I think is, is terribly fascinating. We'll get to talk about it far more on Wednesday night. But when you just look at verse 1, I want you to be struck by what is told to us there. We have a commander of the Syrian army. His name is Naaman. But he is of high favor with his master. He is a man of valor. He is a great man, but we're told why he is a great man. We are told why he is held in high favor and why he has this great esteem within Syria. You'll notice verse one says, because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. You get an amazing picture here that God is with Naaman, God is with Syria. And when you look at verse 2, you will know God is with Naaman and God is with Syria who is attacking Israel. They are coming up against Israel and are being victorious. They are taking cities and they are told in verse 2, they are even capturing people. In verse 2, they capture a little girl who goes back from Israel into the Syrian family. In fact, she turns out to be working for Naaman's wife. And she says something that is fascinating. That while she is there working for Naaman's wife, she says to Naaman's wife, Oh, I sure wish that my master were able to be with the prophet that is in Israel because he would be able to cure him. (laughs) Go figure that. Seems like almost an off-the-hand remark. we, We know about this prophet guy back in Israel. And she's clearly referring to Elisha. How Elisha's been doing miracles and wonders and works within Israel and continuing that ministry of Elijah. And she just makes the statement that there is a man back in Israel who can do something about that. And I sure wish you would be able to meet him. Well... Of course, Naaman's wife now tells Naaman all about it. Naaman tells the one in charge of him, and it goes all the way up to the ranks until you get to the king of Syria. And in verse 5, we are told that the king of Syria tells Naaman, go to Israel, I'm going to send a letter with you to, to the king of Israel. And not only is a letter going to be sent, but an extraordinary amount of wealth is going to be sent as well. When we read numbers like these, it's hard to get our mind around what is being told to us. When you say, well, he took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And you go, I don't know, is that like 100 bucks? I mean, well, how much is that? What, What is being sent there? In trying to get a sense of that, and it is a a loose work of art to try to get a sense of what things were worth back then and try to put it in our day and time. 
But estimating about you would have around 750 pounds of silver with that number. You would have about 150 pounds of gold. Which then I just got online and said, all right, how much is gold worth right now? And how much is silver worth by the pound? And that would calculate in our day and time to about $5.5 million. Point being, he isn't bringing 100 bucks with him. He's bringing a lot of money with him to go see this man of God. It is an extraordinary amount. And so the letter is coming. A pile of wealth is coming. 750 pounds of silver. 150 pounds of gold are being brought. And so here comes the entourage. And the letter is given to the king of Israel. Verse 6. Here's what the letter says. When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you name and my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. It's a curious letter. You know, the Syrians are attacking Israel. They're winning in the battles. And now the letter comes. Here's my esteemed commander who has been terrorizing your countryside. I have sent him to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7, the king of Israel reads the letter. He tears his clothes and says, Am I God? Am I God that I am able to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. You can imagine that the king here is just talking to the court and just saying, This guy just wants to pick a fight. He says something Very subtle, but very important when he says, you know, only God could do something like this. (laughs) Who am I to be able to kill and make alive, heal a man of his leprosy? You're asking for the impossible. Am I God that I can do something like that? And he tears his clothes and he is outraged. Curiously, in verse 8, we're told Elisha, the man of God, hears about the letter, hears about the reaction of the king, and he sends a message to the king of Israel saying in verse 8, why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. (laughs) Essentially, Elisha says, you know I'm here, right? (laughs) What are you so upset about? Send him to me. I'll show him that there's a true prophet in Israel. I'll show him that there is the true and living God in Israel. And he will be able to do something about it. And so that's exactly what happens. Please grasp the weight of verse 9. I think verse 9 is very important where it says, And so Naaman came. And you can imagine he's got his... 150 pounds of gold and 750 pounds of silver and his 10 changes of clothes. And notice that it doesn't say and Naaman just kind of walked up. It says in verse 9, he came with horses, plural, and chariots, plural. Here is the great Naaman. And he is coming with an entourage. He is coming with horses. He is coming with chariots. And he is coming with wealth. And he rides right up to verse 9. It says, and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Here I am. 
And the next sentence is fascinating. Because it's not like you have Naaman in some other city or some faraway place. Verse 9 says that Naaman is standing at Elisha's door. And Elisha does not open the door. Elisha does not go outside. We're told in verse 10, Elisha sends a messenger outside. And the messenger goes outside and says to Naaman, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. Close the door. (laughs) Here with all of this pomp and circumstance, Naaman has come with wealth and horses and chariots. Elisha does not even bother to walk outside. Some messenger comes on out and just says, here's what you need to do. Just go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. See ya. What would you have supposed would have been the response of Naaman to this amazing news? All you need to do to get rid of this serious skin disease, to get rid of this leprosy, is you just need to go to the Jordan River and you just need to dip seven times. That's all you need to do and you're going to be absolutely fine. I want you to notice verse 11. But Naaman was angry. Did you expect something different there? Naaman was overjoyed. Naaman was jumping for joy. Naaman was amazed. He was excited. He was... Naaman was angry. Why is Naaman angry? Verse 11, he goes away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He's got an idea of how this is going to go. He's got a sense of what this is going to look like. I thought he would come out to me. I am Naaman. I am Naaman the great Syrian. And I have come with my entourage. And I thought he would come out to me and he would stand before me and he would call upon the Lord his God and he would wave his hand over the place of the leprosy and then it would all be healed. And if that were not enough, verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? If you're not going to do it the way that I thought, why would you do it like this? The Jordan River. I've got rivers back home that are better than this thing. Could I not wash in them and be clean, he asked. And so he turned and went away in a rage. What a fascinating turn of events. Absolutely stunning turn of events unfold here. And I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about Naaman's response, his reaction, and some of the things that unfold when it comes to how Naaman deals with this and why he deals with things the way that he does. I want you to just think in your mind for a moment, why is Naaman so mad? He was told 
that he could be healed. He was told that all he had to do was go over to the Jordan River and wash in it seven times. Why is he so mad? Says he went off in a rage. Why is he so mad that he's unwilling to do what the messenger said to do? Because the news didn't meet his expectations. It's just not what he thought it was going to be. He had a sense of what the way he thought this should go. And when it did not go the way that he thought, he's not happy. He's enraged. He's angry about it. And I want us just to stop and think about this for a moment. I want us to consider what's happening here. Is that what you have should have been an absolutely joyous event. The messenger gave him good news. You can be clean. It's not like the messenger came out and said, you're a Syrian, get out of here. You're a terrible person. Get out of here. You're from a a Gentile nation. Get out of here. You have been attacking Israel. Get out of here. You are not worthy of this. Get out. None of that happens. He says, here's what you need to do. Just go dip seven times. Jordan River, you're going to be clean. Why is he so angry? And why does he not have joy except his expectations robbed him from joy? What should have been this joyous occasion is taken from him because of his expectations. In fact, you will notice that's what the servants say to him in verse 13. They outright say it to him. He says, this is a good word the prophet has said. You're not going to do it. You know, if he had asked for you to do something really, really hard and really, really difficult, would that make you feel better? He's telling you to do something simple. Has he actually said, verse 13, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? You have the servants even challenging the great man of valor saying, Naaman, buddy, what are you upset about? You've got to be kidding me. What did he say? Something bad? That's not bad news. Why are you so upset? His expectations of the way he thought life ought to go. His expectations of the way he thought God should handle this moment. is what robbed him of joy. Now let me turn that screw a little bit tighter because... Could Elisha have gone out and met Naaman? Sure. Could Elisha have stood before him and waved his hand over the leprosy and made him well? Of course he could have. Could he have said, go wash in your pretty waters of Syria in Abana or Farpar and you will be clean? Sure. If you thought about why, why not? Elisha, why don't you go out there? Why don't you tell him something according to his expectations? 
Why do you send a messenger out with news that completely spins name in the wrong way? It tweaks him so bad, he's angry and leaves in a huff and isn't going to do what he was told to do. Why does God do that? You ever thought about how we see a consistent thing about God in the scriptures? And that is this, that God likes to act in such a way to defy our expectations so that we will not rely upon our own wisdom, but humble ourselves before God. God does that a lot. He does things that defy the expectations of the people. So that they will not rely upon their own wisdom or logic, but have to humble themselves and simply accept what the word of God said. God does that a lot. And that is certainly played out here. That God does everything opposite that Naaman expects at this moment. Naaman thought he was going to come in with his entourage, dump off a pile of wealth, have this grand scene happen. It was all going to be amazing. And he would go on his way. And absolutely none of it happened. Why does God do that? Because what we see God doing over and over again is challenging us to humble ourselves before God. You see what's happening here? What Elisha has had happen through his servant and through this message is a great challenge to Naaman. Here is the challenge. Are you going to humble yourself and accept what the words are, even though it doesn't match what you expected to happen? That's the challenge. Naaman, are you going to humble yourself? And accept what the man of God said to do, even though it doesn't match with what you thought the man of God should have said or done. This is how God operates. God is always challenging us to see if we are going to humble ourselves before him. And remember, Naaman is an important man. He is a valiant man. In Syria, he is a big deal. He is held in high honor by the king of Syria. That's no more clearly true than to send a letter to the king of Israel with a boatload of money saying, you better do something for this guy. He's an important fellow. You have name and play the don't you know who I am card. I'm somebody you're supposed to meet my expectations. And God says, I don't do that. <laughs> I just don't. And the response of the servants is powerful because they're simply asking, does, does God have to do a great act to do a great thing? Is it not a great thing that he's told you to, you can be clean by washing seven times in the Jordan River? Is that not something absolutely amazing? I think sometimes we struggle with that with God. That sometimes what we do is we limit the power of God because we don't see God working through this great, amazing, miraculous event. 
It's too low level. It's too common. We think that if God is going to act, He needs to come and stand before us and wave His hand over us and say some incantation. And then that's going to prove to me that God did this. But if it was something subtle, something simple, something light. So often that we will say, it wasn't God who answered my prayers. It was just luck, happenstance, good decisions, things fell into place, whatever. See, the servants are putting their finger on something about the way God operates is that God is trying to tell us that God can operate through the mundane. And the problem is, are we going to reject the word of God because he told you to do something simple? I love that's what they're challenging Naaman at this point. He told you to go wash seven times in the Jordan. Is that something to get upset about? Is that something to reject? Because God gives us simple things. Sometimes we think God's got to do a great show. And God can be operating through the simple. God can be operating through the mundane. Things that seem so common, so average, so normal, so scheduled, so what expected. And yet it's God's hand that's in that. Which sets us up for something that God wants to state over and over and over again from beginning to end in the scriptures. A key truth about God. God never feels compelled to meet our expectations of him. You don't have in this moment the messenger coming back to Elisha and, oh, Elisha goes, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I just, I thought that would just be easier. No, I was busy doing something over here. I was making dinner. I just thought sending my messenger up. Let me go out there and do what he wants so that he'll be pleased. He doesn't do that. God does not feel compelled to meet our expectations of him. He doesn't care. In fact, have you noticed that God goes out of his way to operate in a way to break our expectations? Who would suppose that God is going to save the world by having Jesus killed? That defies expectations. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Describing that it is the the foolishness of the cross that is a stumbling block to people. That God uses things so that people won't boast in themselves, but that they will only boast in God. That God is always trying to knock out the very thing that we hold on to, to get us to realize it's not about us, it's about God. And that's what's happening here at this moment. And we have to reject what our expectations are. Of God are. We think, well, God has to do things the way that I think He should do things. Have you ever thought about the insanity of that idea long enough? God should operate the world and run the world and run my life and be sovereign over my life. If there's really a God that exists, He should do things the way that I think He should do things. There's a myriad of problems with that. But I would submit to you, 
Shouldn't we expect God to do things absolutely contrary to the way that we think because he's not human and we're not God? We shouldn't be surprised that God does things that defy our logic and our expectations. For example, if God did everything that you ever thought, wouldn't you ever think, well, he's kind of just like me. He's just a human being up there. You should expect God to be different. You should expect God to go, no, 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 no. I don't operate in the way that you think and the way that you work. I'm not going to go that way. I'm greater than that. I'm bigger than that. And so often we fail to see that. We fail to realize that God doesn't do things our way and we should expect that. We should expect that from the true and living God, that he is different. And I want us to consider, as you look at verse 14, after his servants challenge him, it says that he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. I want you to see something here. Only when Naaman got past those expectations, that's when he could be healed. What was the roadblock to joy? What was the roadblock to his healing? His expectation of how this was going to go. Of how it was all going to play out. He had it in his mind. He had it all figured out. Life plan all set. This is how it's going to be. And when it didn't go according to plan. That's when he broke. Lost joy. And was not going to be healed. And it's only when. He got past those expectations. That he could then be healed. And I think that is a huge, huge thing for us. A huge truth is our expectations of how God should run the world, run our lives, handle things in this world, frequently interfere with not only joy, but perhaps even more importantly, being healed and enjoying what God has to offer. Now, I want to take a step back and think about how this all plays out for a moment. I think this is an important question to ask. If Naaman had changed any bit of what the man of God said he was told to do, would he have been healed? If Naaman had decided to go back to Syria and dip seven times in the Abana River, because it is a far better river than the Jordan, according to the Syrian, do you think he would have been healed? Or if he had done that in the Farpar River seven times, just like the man of God said, just a different river, do you think he'd be healed? Or what if he had just dipped in a different river in Israel? Do you think he would have been healed? Or do you think if he had gone to the Jordan River, but after the third time thought, you know, this is getting a little ridiculous seven times. 
I mean, what's the point? Why seven times? Seven times is nonsensical, isn't it? I mean, why seven times? I'll do it three times. You think he would have been healed as he came up the third time out of that river? Or would he have been healed if he said, you know, I believe in the man of God's words. I think he's telling the truth. And then didn't do any of what the man of God said. Would he have been healed? I want us just to think about why are you all saying no? I mean, water's water, rivers are rivers, and who cares if it's one, three, or seven times? It's irrelevant, isn't it? It's the difference between a Jordan and a Banner River. Who cares? What's the difference between a one time or seven times? Who cares? Here's why it matters. It matters because doing things God's way shows that we are rejecting our expectations and our logic and are willing to simply do what he says. Now I put a parenthetical word up there. That big long sentence can all be summed up in one word. That's what faith is. That's the essence of faith. Faith says, I am going to do things God's way, not because it makes any particular sense whatsoever, but because that's what he says to do, and I'm going to humble myself and do it. That's what belief is all about. That's where Naaman is at. He doesn't believe. This is ridiculous. This is dumb. Why would I do this? And it's only when he sets the expectations aside, humbles himself to the word of God, and he says, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. And he does exactly what the man of God said to do. Only then is he healed. And I want us to see that we can apply all kinds of logic and reason right here. I mean, Who cares how many times you dip in the water and water's water, right? This is all just a symbol of cleansing, isn't it? So so what's the big deal? It's all just, you know, a picture. Because it's all about your submission to what God says. Or to say it this way, if I can be so bold. Often what God tells us to do is an insult to logic and reason. Are you okay with that? I mean, you don't have to get very far to Genesis to see that. Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your miracle one and only child and I want you to offer him up on an altar. Makes perfect sense. Logic and reason right there. Oh, that makes perfect sense. You betcha, Lord, I will do that right away. I completely understand why I would have be called to do something like that. <laughs> no. How many times are people in the scriptures challenged to do things that defy human logic and reason? And the only reason they do it is because they humble themselves before God and say, okay, you're God and that makes no sense to me whatsoever, but I'll do it because you're God. That's what Naaman's doing right here, by the way. What Naaman is told to do right here makes no sense at all. Give me one ounce of logic behind why Naaman has to leave Elisha's house, go all the way to the Jordan River, 
and go dip over there seven times. I don't think there's any way to come up with why the Jordan River, why in Israel, why not immediately, and why, why seven times? Just because. <laughs> because God needs to humble us. And so often what we do is we try to bring our expectations to the laws of God. Please hear this. We come up to the laws of God and we say, that doesn't make any sense. And so I am going to do it. That's what Naaman's doing right now. And the servants are saying, are you crazy? You could have healing. You can be clean. If you'll just humble yourself and do what he says. I know you're upset. I know it doesn't make sense. I know that your rivers are better and I know seven times doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but the word that you were told is good. Is it not good news? It's not hard for you to do it. Go ahead and do it. And so often what we can do is we can come to the word of God, reject what he says and miss out on healing and blessing and cleansing and joy because we don't get why God said he what we had to do. We'll just skip repentance. I don't need to repent. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be me and do my, my thing and live my life. I don't need to repent before God. You think you're going to find healing? Cleansing? Telling God the way it is? I don't need to confess sins. Sins. Made up thing. I don't even understand it. Baptism. Tell me something that's more nonsensical than that. Makes no sense. And by the way, it's just symbolic of cleansing anyway, so it doesn't really matter, right? And you all shook your heads no with, with Naaman. It mattered. But then we come along to the word of God and we like to play the same games. And we like to tell God, no, that's not really important. That one doesn't really matter so much. Ah, confessing sins, be repentant and sorrowful for my sins or baptism, ah, whatever. And then let's turn the screw a little bit more. Then we come to the laws of God and we say, ah, sexual purity, come on. No, I'm not going to do that. Adultery, wrong. Divorce, come on, 21st century. Sexual immorality, grow up. It's fine. God doesn't care. That's what we do to the laws of God. We go, since it's not my expectation, it's not the way I want to live my life, it's not what I think the way God should be with me, I'm going to reject it. And then somehow we think, because we have tweaked, altered, or rejected some part of God's word, that we're still healed and cleansed. And I want to tell you, you're nuts. Just as much as if you think Naaman would have been fine dipping in the rivers of Syria and he would have been cleansed. That's what we're doing. We're telling God, I'll, I'll, I'll do something similar, but let me shift it a little bit. Let me change it a little bit. It's not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> the servants are saying it's a real big deal. It's a very simple word that God has given to you. All that you need to do 
is what God says, but we cannot bring our expectations of how we want to live life or our expectations of how we think God should be. Defy what he says to do and think that we are cleansed and in a good relationship with God. And anytime we ever encounter God's law like that, I just hope you'll come to this story about Naaman. And if it wasn't okay for Naaman to dip only once or dip in a different river, then by the same token, it's not acceptable for us to change what God said. Here's what I want you to hear. God is challenging our expectations to see if we will humble ourselves to him or not. That's what's happening. He's willingly defying logic and reason and challenging us, challenging our expectations to see if we really have faith. Do you believe? Will you humble yourself? Will you submit to me? Without explanation. You know, when God went, came to Abraham about taking his only son, there wasn't an explanation. There was no, now Abraham, I'm going to ask you to do this because I want to see if I should really fulfill my promise to make a great nation out of you. And I want to test your faith and I want to see what's in your heart. So just work with me here. Let me explain to you why I, that's what we think God should do for us. God, you need to explain all of the reasoning and whys and only then will I obey. Don't you love it when your kids do that? Good night. You know, we all as kids said we would never, as parents, we would never be like our parents and say, because I told you so. We will never do that. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. Because it's annoying. <laughs> there comes a point where I shouldn't have to explain myself. You just do it. Because... You were told to. And Elisha does not give name in any explanation. He just says seven times, Jordan River, door closed. Now you're going to believe it or not. Don't let your expectations of God and don't let your expectations of life get in the way of enjoying healing and cleansing. I'm not going to spend time there, but I want you to realize, let's get there tonight in the final section as we look at the shift to Gehazi tonight. Naaman realizes cleansing leads to a transformed life. When you humble yourself before God and you experience the joy and the blessing and the cleansing, he comes back to Elisha and says, I'm not worshiping those false gods anymore. I know to worship the true and living God alone. That's what's supposed to happen. Set your expectations aside. Humble yourself before God. Experience cleansing and joy. 
and worship the one who gave you that joy and gave you that cleansing. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of Naaman. And Lord, help us with our arrogance and pride, for so often we want to challenge you because we think we know better, because we think we have so much wisdom. Lord, please forgive us for when we have rejected your word because of our own expectations of you and our own expectations of life. God, we know that you challenge our expectations. And Lord, we pray that you would humble our hearts. Bring us to our knees so that we can enjoy the healing that you have to offer. Bring us to our knees so that we can enjoy the blessings of a transformed life that you desire to give us. So God, help us to obey. Help us to listen to you. Strengthen our hearts to follow you with all of our heart. And forgive us for the so many times, so, so many times, when we have refused because we think we have a better way. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, we pray for a strengthening of our faith that we would obey you, whether we understand or not, because we know that you're in your best, your love and our best interests are in your mind for everything that you have ever done for us. And Lord, we know that from the cross. We know that from your sacrifice, son. And so help us to be diligent, humble servants of yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation song. We do invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to listen to what the word of God says to do for cleansing and healing. There is no other way. Cannot come to the word of God and change what God has said. There needs to be faith. There needs to be true repentance. There needs to be true confession. There needs to be cleansing and water for the forgiveness of sins. There needs to be the submitting of your life to God to follow him with all of your heart. And we help you do that this morning in any way. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?